G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 20 review as we wrap up, well, a dramatic weekend of football. Games all over the shop. Five of them played on Sunday. Uh, games being switched at the last minute. Teams travelling all day to reroute their flight paths to get to new venues. And then when all the action actually took place, everything going on, some accuracy, some inaccuracy, some upsets, some big scores, some thrillers, a bit of everything and an outstanding weekend of football. As I say, a very good evening to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. What would you make of it all, Fine? Hard to take it all in, really. Well, inaccuracy might be the byword for this round, Rowan. I think for the first time this year, or maybe the second time, when it came to footy tips, we both were at a dem. We tipped the same nine selections in the nine games. Well, you're almost guaranteed that we'd get a fail mark, and I think we did. I think we got four out of nine, didn't we? Showing the unpredictable nature of AFL football. It was all going on, and uh, this podcast is always going on, courtesy of our wonderful sponsors, of course. An official footyology partner is Palmerbet. This podcast, always brought to you by Palmerbet, play the punting advantage this footy season. Remember to gamble responsibly. And uh, what about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? Norman May is no longer with us that great one-eyed commentator of cricket and Olympics. But if he was, and if he ventured to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and if he took a bite in one of Andrew's hamburgers, legendary one with the lot, just any of their great burgers, you know what he would say? Gold, gold, gold to Andrew's because it is a golden bite at 144 Bridport Street. And there's no silver or bronze for West Point Properties and their skill when it comes to constructing or renovating, whether it's a new home or a rebuild. Build your gold medal tally with the best in the business. Nick Spartels takes centre place on the podium. You know, you could always judge how old you're getting by the extent of the blank looks you get when you drop cultural references like Norman May. Uh, and uh, if you're our age, you'll know exactly what he's talking about. If you're younger than about 40, you won't have a clue. Let's just leave you in suspense and you can go and Google it after you've listened to this whole podcast. Our other official Footyology podcast partner, of course, is Stats Insider. And they're suitable for all age groups. The best sports data analysts in the business they deal with about 15 sports globally and they sample every event more than 10,000 times to give you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. Some great writing on there too, independent sports journalism at its finest. And in fact, I'm penning something for them 
tomorrow. So check that one out, statsinsider.com.au and uh, give them a follow on Twitter while you're at it, at Stats Insider. All right, well, my head's spinning. So much has happened over the last 72 or so hours. We're going to talk about all of it right now. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 20 kicked off Friday evening at Marvel Stadium in front of, sadly, no crowd again. And it was a convincing win to Carlton over St Kilda by 31 points. The final scores, the Blues, 18-4, 112, defeating St Kilda, 12-9, 81-18-4, remarkable accuracy, in fact, at one stage, the Blues at 17-2 just needed one more goal to equal the most accurate scoreline in league history. The goal kickers for the victors, we had Mackay with five, three to Walsh, two to Honey, two to Williamson, singles to Cripps, Kernow, Dow, Kennedy and Silvani. For the Saints, four to King, Three to Membry, two to Sharman, who came off the medical substitutes bench, and singles to Higgins, Jones, and Marshall. Well, uh, the Blues got the jump here with five goals to three in the first quarter, ramped it up in the second with another five, another five in the third too, and uh, all over she wrote by three-quarter time. Really disappointing performance by the Saints, but credit where it's due, Finey, Carlton, very, very impressive in this victory. It'd be easy as a St Kilda supporter to dwell on St Kilda's negatives, and we'll certainly talk about where St Kilda let themselves down. But let's focus on Carlton to start off with, because we know that Sam Walsh has had a magnificent season, and I thought he was best on ground again, not only using his fantastic aerobic strength to create opportunities for himself, but also deadly in front of goals. With none of his three goals, gimmies, uh, really showed that he's got many strings to his bow. But I was pretty impressed by a raft of Carlton youngsters as well. Josh Honey was some sort of target up forward and looks like a, a lively prospect. Liam Stocker has certainly improved in his latest crack at senior football and I, th I think to be fair to him his body now allows him to do what his mind wanted him to wanted him to do when he was a thinner younger footballer he looks like a prospect to me Paddy Dow started the season with great hopes after a big pre-season had to call his jets for much of the first half of the year in the VFL or what was at times no VFL scratch matches but he's really looked Good lately, and that midfield certainly needs bolstering, but Paddy Dow looks a reasonable part of it. And how about Silvani's performance, Rowan? When you consider that Tom DeConning didn't play any role after quarter time, they were ruckless, and he performed admirably, not as a stopgap ruckman for five minutes a quarter, but for the entire rest of the game. And that was a sort of sacrifice because he actually looked very dangerous up forward in the first quarter. Yeah, he did. One thing I really like about Carlton these days is they can score and uh, they, they play a positive brand of footy. And I sometimes think we've sort of dwelt too much on their, uh, you know, tendency to leak scores defensively. And we look at, uh, you know, the midfield isn't deep enough and 
Walsh and, and Cripps don't get enough support. But, you know, sometimes you've got to look at what a side does better than it was doing. And I think, you know, when we talk about David Teague's future, it shouldn't be forgotten that I, I reckon he's made them a much more positive and attacking outfit. And I, I think that should count for something. Uh, yeah, look, they're, they're not great defensively, but this Carlton side this year has performed about where I thought it would. And I think realistic expectations of them had them about where they are. And that is, perhaps surprisingly, still in contention for a finals berth. So uh, we know this review's going on at the Blues and they've got plenty to think about. But uh, I'm just hoping that for once in their uh, pretty ordinary last two-decade history, they don't sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's plenty there to work with. And don't forget, just that even that glimpse of Charlie Kerno back out on the ground operating as a tandem with Harry Mackay, I mean, that's something you can really build a side around. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what all the doom and gloom about the Blues is. Yeah, I know it's been a frustrating wait, but um, their future isn't as bad as some people, perhaps mostly people internally, seem to believe. We need to talk about your Saints, Fawny. Really disappointing from them. Uh, when you think about where they finished last year, They've got some issues, and I think they've got some major list issues too. Uh, the trade-ins have sort of left them a bit thin at the younger end of the list, and some of those guys have been nurturing for five, six, seven, eight years now. I'm just not sure they cut the mustard. Yeah, uh, that's where the finger of blame will be pointed, I think, at the end of the season. No mid-season reviews at St Kilda, and a few of those long-standing Saints could be thankful of that. Let's name them. At the top of the list, Jack Billings, who's never really been a player whose impact on the game matches up with the number of possessions he gets, but sometimes there's nowhere to hide. And on Friday night, with a few players out, a number of players out for St Kilda, that senior man had to stand up. Now, in the last quarter, look, he hadn't done much anyhow. And come the last quarter, even though St Kilda really were never going to win, they did put three quick goals on the board. And I guess there was some sort of mathematical hope. Now, in and amongst those three quick goals were two set shots that Jack Billings simply had to put through the big sticks. Now, five goals on, on end would have made a bit of a difference. And he missed those two kicks lamentably. Long, 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 uh, big misses from not a long way out. He's at the top of the list. Uh, not far behind him is Seb Ross, whose impact on a game is questionable. I don't. I, I think he's a dime a dozen player. To be fair, not a brilliant kick, not a terrible kick, not fast, not slow, not strong, not weak, just middle of the road, and unfortunately, seems to get a game every week without impacting much on the result. And Jimmy Webster, who a few people have praised this season, coming in on a halfback flank after not initially being in the team, he's a sloppy footballer for mine. Too many turnovers, too many weak possessions. I know a lot of people are upset with Brad Hill. I don't lay the blame at his feet. At least when he's given the ball in the right spot, he uses it far better than just about every other player that saunders out of the St Kilda backline, Rowan. 
Well, I certainly got some thinking to do. It's been a really uh, disappointing follow-up to a first finals appearance in uh, ten or so years. Last would year, you call it, would you call it a wasted season? Because that's how I feel it has been for St Kilda. Yeah, I would. I would. And uh, uh, one in which I think the realization has been that they weren't as far advanced as they might have thought they were. Uh, let's look at what either club's got next week. Now, uh, given the goings on with uh, round 20, uh, this is very tentative only. In fact, I'm not even going to bother reading out times and venues because who knows where they'll be. But at this stage, uh, Carlton are scheduled to be playing Gold Coast in Melbourne. And for the Saints, uh, it's another Melbourne game. This one for them, probably unfortunately, uh, up against Sydney. So, uh, boy, they're going to have their work cut out there. That was Friday night. Saturday uh, didn't prove to be as fulsome a menu as we had initially planned. But three games. Let's have a chat about it. The first game on Saturday, after we were remained thankful we had games at all, was in Ballarat, a very early start time, 12.20 p.m. It saw the Western Bulldogs up against Adelaide uh, for the second time in a row up at Mars Stadium. A pretty strong breeze blowing to one end, which uh, made a bit of a difference. Adelaide took advantage of it early, but uh, perhaps the writing was on the wall when already by quarter time, they were two goals down despite the assistance of that breeze. In the end, a very comfortable victory to the Bulldogs. The final scores, 15-15-105, defeating the Crows, 8-8-56. The goal kickers, two to Bruce, two to Johannesson, two to Hugo Hagen. Singles to Daniel English, Liberatore, Norton, Garcia, Hunter, Dale, Bontempelli and Waitman. As some roll call of goal kickers. In fact, I think that's 11. Not bad at all. Adelaide, two to Himmelberg, two to Walker. Singles to Fogarty, Lynch, Rowe and Murphy. Well, Fidey, uh, the Crows weren't terrible. They, uh, they gave it a decent crack. They got an early lead on the Doggies with that wind at their backs. But uh, class eventually wore them down. The Doggies... I think the doggies have shown a, a decent uh, ability to be able to play uh, not down and dirty, but uh, get in among the harder stuff as well as that free-flowing link-up handball game they pursue so well. And they did a bit of both in this game and in the end, a very comfortable win. They'd be pretty pleased about how this one turned out. Yeah, and they did it without Kaiser Soze, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Do you know that movie? I'm sure you do. No, uh, it wasn't. I don't know. Explain. Well, he's a sort of a main character, sort of in a movie called The Usual Suspects. Oh, that's and right. This... Sorry, I have seen that. Yeah, go on. And this was the... well, this was not The Usual Suspects, was it? Bond and Pelly, unusually quiet. I think he had mid-teens for possessions, and McRae got plenty of the ball. I don't think he was overly influential. Liberatore certainly not. Amongst the best, we turn to Bailey Dale, Caleb Daniel with that fantastic goal and really good contributions from the likes of... Actually, this really throws up an interesting one. I thought Josh Shackey played well. So 
very interested to see at the end of the season when Alex Keith is expected to return what the back line will look like. That's been a, a move that's already looks like it's going to reap dividends. I love the fact that that forward line looked functional with those three big forwards. He's a very good leader, is Jamara Eugle Hagen, has good instincts to know exactly how to time his leads, which makes him a different proposition to Great Norton goal Bruce. assist from him too as well. Yeah. Don't you think, how do you feel the three work together? Now, against Adelaide, uh, you know, it's not really tested out, but I feel that he's playing a role that the other two don't. Do you think the three will be playing together in the finals? Yeah, I think they will. I think they're mobile enough. Um, I mean, that's got to be the key to it. And uh, you think it might be a bit clunky, but they are all pretty exceptionally mobile as key forwards. And I think that's why it works. Anyway, do go on. Uh, Jason Johannesson. Now, for part of the season, I questioned his worth in the forward line. I'll remember not to question Luke Beveridge again because not only did he kick a couple of goals, but his pace is used in two ways. One, with the ball, now effectively, and of course, without the ball, to harangue the opposition. So that's working out beautifully as well. In other words, everything's clicking nicely for the dogs. It'll be interesting at the bottom end of that 23 or 22, depends which way you look at it, as to whether the likes of Arali, Garcia, Scott, um, Rourke Smith hold their spot in the team. The other Smith Smith was good, wasn't he? Well, I thought Garcia uh, showed some nice touches as well. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how it, it plays out. I'm not quite sure which way they'll go. I know one thing about Luke Beveridge. He'll keep it open-ended and competitive right through to the grand final, if need be. And we know that that's been one of his strengths, to not necessarily guarantee a spot to anybody in the team. That internal competition is very much part of his philosophy, isn't it? It is. Uh, Where do we think Adelaide are at? I, I think if you look at the body of work overall, you've got to say they're more advanced on a year ago. I mean, they didn't get their first win of a year till right near the death last year. They've had good early season form. Look, it's been a struggle for them since, but uh, a good win last week. And I think they showed enough signs in this game to think that uh, Matthew Nix is on the right track, at least. I agree. Ben Keyes has been good this season. I thought he was really good and physical in this game. Rory Laird a success in the centre of the ground. Of course, they need to develop players at both ends of the ground. Tom Duday, you know what? He's probably not going to make the All-Australian team, mainly because he plays for Adelaide. But Tom Duday, he's a good footballer, courageous, sure, under the ball, great pair of hands, reads it perfectly. I admire him as a footballer. And I'll tell you one thing, when they named that All-Australian team, he will not be in any way inferior to the tall mid-sized backman that they do select. Good footballer. You, you sort of ask where Adelaide are. Well, let's just say you're asking how far away Adelaide are to making a grand final. Well, maybe this was symbolic. They're on the road, but they probably, in terms of getting to the MCG on the big one, they probably only get as far as Ballarat. So symbolically, they played it at the right ground and they were beaten comfortably by the right team. All right, well, uh, yep, yeah, no, that is a fair analogy and uh, wouldn't be surprised if they ended up playing in Ballarat again last week in a showdown 
No, Wes. Uh, who knows where that game is going to be, but that is what is on the menu for the Crows. A big one up against local rival Port Adelaide. And the Bulldogs, well, they were scheduled to play Essendon and still will be playing Essendon. That one was supposed to be a big Friday night clash. Not going to be the case now. Essendon uh, already having the mandated five-day break. And, uh, of course, their switch from uh, Saturday to Sunday this week has thrown that out. So that game, we think, will be on Saturday evening. But uh, as usual these days, check your local guides for details. <laughs> Hang on. I love that expression. Check your local guides. Well, I, haven't used, I haven't used the local guide since I was 20, I reckon. Well, there's been a few throwbacks this week, and I'm going to expand on that in our rants a little bit later on. Uh, or that was the second of the four Saturday, uh, sorry, the three Saturday games. Uh, the second on Saturday was down in Hobart. Well, North Melbourne have got to play a fair bit at their second home of Blundstone Arena Hobart this season and did so again on Saturday afternoon up against Geelong. Couldn't get the Chockeys this time. They're playing a fiercely professional outfit. Not a game for the ages, fair to say. And uh, I reckon a lot of us probably thought that the sort of game we got was the sort of game we might get. 20-point win to the Cats in the finish. The final scores, Geelong, 8-14-62. Defeating North, 6-6-42. The goals, two to Cam Guthrie for the Cats. His brother, Zach Guthrie, actually played a pretty decent game. Two to Rowan, singles to Blitzarves, Hawkins, Higgins and Narkel. For the Roos, two to Larkey, singles to Bosna Vilagi, Davies Uniac and Ford and Taylor. That was about it. Pretty short goal tally, uh, inaccurate stuff by the Cats. Scrappy game. They always did appear to have this one in hand, I felt, even though the margin was, uh, at best, pretty narrow for most of it. Another decent effort from the Roos. They won't be too uh, down in the dumps about this one. And the Cats, well, uh, they win a lot of games like this during the season, don't they? They just ground out a pretty unspectacular, but in the end, uh, important win. Is that how you saw it, Finey? Damn you, footyology. Damn you to hell for making me watch this game of football. Gee, this was hard to watch. Yeah. What did they have? Something like 170 marks. Geelong, 10 contested. Uh, unfortunately, Geelong have the ability, and against a team like North Melbourne, they're not really scared that they're only two or three goals up because they're playing keepings off. They know that if they need to turn the tap on and speed the game up, they've got that sort of um, weapon safely sheathed. And really, they just ran it to the line. Probably not until Tom Hawkins, who, by the way, Ben McKay played a pretty good game on him. He'd been quiet. Not until Tom Hawkins kicked that good goal from the boundary did you say... Okay, game's over. Can I just say that, you know, we know Geelong like to hang on to the ball. It's not just about denying the opposition the ball. It's about denying the opposition time. 
I reckon, you know, Geelong's build-ups are so methodical and so time-consuming that when the opposition does get their hands on the ball, half the quarter's gone. I think it's a it's a bit of a sort of unspoken secret of how they go about it, but it isn't necessarily great to watch. Am I unfair, Rowan, in saying that's one of the hardest games to watch of the season? I'm not saying it's one of the worst games because Geelong executed as they would have planned and in that there is, as we approach the finals, a level of interest and also a, a, you've got to say job done. So I'm not saying it was a game totally error-ridden, but uh, riddled, but I've got to say it was so hard to watch as a neutral. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd put it up there. It's, uh, I've got to say that list is growing longer by the week. Uh, just further to that thing about denying the opposition the ball. I mean, uh, the Roos ended up with only 34 inside 50s for the entire match as opposed to Geelong 60. So that gives you a bit of an inkling how it played out. You know, we should talk about the Guthrie brothers because uh, Cam's... <laughs> oh, that, doesn't that sound like... I mean, Guthrie it all brothers. Was, yeah. If that's not a band, if that's not a... I mean, it almost is because there was Woody and Arlo Guthrie who were father and son. But if that if that's not a, a late 60s band from the United States... Then... <laughs> I was thinking more a, a tailor in New York in the 1930s or something, but... Uh, yeah. They, uh, I, I've got look. Cam's resurrection has been a remarkable story, and of course, all Australian selection for him last year. But I've got to admit, Zach, I've never thought seemed particularly adept at anything. Uh, this was so far and away his best game of league footy. He was terrific. He was great, but it just unfortunately for Zach, it won't help him bust into the side for the finals because the player he replaced, Tom Atkins plays a sort of similar role, intercepting ball off the half-back line with Tom Stewart. And there's no way that they're going to go with Zach Guthrie. Out of those three, it's the two Toms, isn't it? So I'll tell you what he has done. He might have given himself a little bit of currency in the trade market because I'm just... It was easily his best game. and certainly showed his worth as an AFL footballer. I mean, we remember him as such a lightly framed debutante that you do have to cut him some slack because as he grows into a more mature body, he's going to be a pretty good footballer. I'll leave you to say a bit about the Roos, but uh, I just want to make one final point on the Cats, and that is people look at performances like this and they then cast their minds to, say, the Western Bulldogs or Melbourne at their flowing, sort of attacking best and think, oh, Geelong's not going to be able to keep up with that. Well, I understand that argument, but it's sort of based on uh, those two teams being allowed to play the brand of footy they want to play. I think Geelong is so good at not allowing opponents to play as they want to play. I think if it gets down and dirty and that sort of scrap in the finals, and let's hope it doesn't because we want entertaining finals, but if it was going to be a scrap like that in the grand final, I think my money would be on the Cats. Yeah, look, I agree. I, and that's I think they've proven this year, Rowan, they're capable of playing different types of football as the situation requires. So don't for a minute believe that if Geelong's plan A falls apart, that they can't mix it, as you say, playing a different brand of football. The, the one thing that I would say is that they've just got to be careful that they're sort of not left at the, at the starting gates. And I'm not saying that 
they're going to be jumped by another team, but they do run the danger against a better side of maybe having to click into gear. And that's not easy against the Bulldogs if you let them that if you let their running game happen. Bulldogs do rely on turnover. Geelong are going to deny them turnover, but if they get that turnover against Geelong, will Geelong be able to click into plan B quick enough? A quick word on North Melbourne before we wrap it up. Admirable. What a good second half of the season. Lucas, um, Luke Davis, Uniaki. I am so impressed by him as a footballer. See the big 60-metre goal he kicked? Yeah. I just like him as a footballer because he's now just got that little bit of extra time to make the right decision. Very good. Jai Simpkin, well, we knew last year that he was on the way to being one of one of the league's best, not best midfielders, but in that top group. So I'm impressed by what they've been able to put on the field. We know that Cunnington's a huge loss for them, but I'll tell you what, imagine in the first half of the year with some of the outs that they've got now, Rowan, what sort of margin they would have faced against Geelong. So I like them. Yep, yeah, no, definitely picked up their game a lot. They are scheduled to play Richmond next week at the MCG. We're pretty sure that venue will remain the same. Uh, Geelong scheduled to play GWS at GMHBA Stadium. Pretty sure that will remain the case as well. Uh, just win uh, again, not sure at this stage. All right, there were no Saturday night games. There was, however, one at Twilight. It was at the MCG. Let's talk about that. Well, we say it whenever these two teams clash. They've had some epic battles, of course, the 2018 Grand Final, the standout. This one, back at the same venue with about 100,000 fewer people in attendance, uh, which was pretty fortunate for the victors on that occasion because they were terrible on this occasion. A 45-point win to Collingwood over, got to be said, an insipid West Coast. The final scores, 14-6-90, the Pies. West Coast, just six goals, nine, 45. They were just one goal at halftime, West Coast. They were just two goals at three-quarter time. All this in Shannon Hearn's 300th game. A really, really dark day for this footy club. And they've had a few this season. Boy, have they got some soul-searching to do. The goal kickers for the victors, two to Elliott, two to Majacek, two to Bianco, singles to Hoskin Elliott, side bottom, Ginevan, Cameron, Thomas, Grundy, Kanor, and Noble for West Coast. Two to Cripps, singles to Yo, Darling, Kennedy and Sheed. Well, finally, I'd suggest you knew what was going to happen in this game within about 15 minutes when the Pies put the first four goals on the board. The Eagles were just shocking. 10-1 to 1-5 at halftime in this game. Um, They lacked competitiveness. They exerted no pressure. At one stage, the ball went in their forward 50 and there were about four West Coast players just standing around waiting for Collingwood to rebound it. This was a lifeless, spiritless performance. And I'll tell you what, uh, if they're going to remain in the eight uh, and and serve up dross like that, they are just going to be cannon fodder. How do you see it? What's the saying? Stats, lies, more stats, more damn lies. Do you know at halftime, 
they led the inside 50 count. I do. It was 22-25. Can you believe that? 50 points down. What it was an ode to was, as you say, a complete lack of full ground pressure by the West Coast Eagles. It's okay to kick the ball inside 50. It's no good if you've got nobody there and your midfield doesn't have the intestinal fortitude to follow up on that kick. I found it a weak effort. Well, of course it was a weak effort because Collingwood had 467 possessions. That is unbelievable. They are waltzing around the MCG unattended for most of the afternoon by a team that is in the eight. What a lamentable performance by West Coast. Well done to Steel Sidebottom. I don't know whether there's years of football left in Steel, but certainly there's something left in him after that performance. And the idea of rotating the captaincy looks like it might work. Jordan Dugowie, of all the players, he was the most meaningful with ball in hand. Good depth on his kicking, good penetrating, running football. He, to me, probably takes the three votes off steel side bottom. There's some promise there. We know that Bianco was good this year, kicked a couple. Jack Ginnivan's goal certainly was the cause for celebration. And it was a nice kick as well. So, and, and by the way, look, Nick Natanui's an, an imposing footballer. But I just get the feeling, especially away from Perth, he sometimes goes through the motions. He was well beaten by Grundy. And I've got a, you know, bit of a good, long, hard look at yourself, Nick. You've got all the natural attributes. This is a season that all football has been praying for, where it's injury uninterrupted. And to be honest, you haven't quite taken it with both hands. What's your take on, say, a Nat Nui, Rob? I think it's a lot of their senior players just looking flat as attack and uninspired. And, uh, you know, it really is at that stage where you think that this isn't just about personnel or about game plan or style. There's something attitudinally completely off with this side. And it's interesting. Well, that, that, many... reflects, that reflects poorly on Adam Simpson then. It does, and I think he's got to come under pressure because he, I think he, perhaps like a lot of other people, has sort of been guilty of waiting for things to click and it's now becoming increasingly apparent that's not going to happen. I mean, a lot of West Coast people get really shirty when you talk about them being poor on the road or you talk about them being flat-track boys. I mean, there's this real defensiveness about it. But, I mean, the, the scores speak for themselves. This is with their third absolutely rancid performance in this state. I mean, those two shockers down at Geelong, first against the Cats and then against Sydney. And this one wasn't as big in scoreboard terms because of a few cheap goals at at the end. But uh, effort-wise, it was every bit as bad. Now, that... And this is a side which saves its best for the the comfortable games at home against sides that... uh, they can beat up on. It, it's it's a terrible profile. Just quickly on those stats too, because they were quite uh, eye-catching. 108 more disposals, Collingwood, um, and 101 more uncontested possessions. So not only were the Eagles not prepared to get down and dirty, they weren't prepared to even chase. Uh, this was a shocking performance. Hard to really overstate just how bad it was. 
And uh, really hard to overstate what the ramifications of it might be. It's going to be some very interesting times in the West over the next week or so, I'd suggest. Uh, speaking of well, which... Well done by you, by the way. In terms of what? Ramping up the adjective to describe their performance from putrid to rancid. Haven't heard that one used too often. Oh, yes. Uh, also a punk band. I, I, I'm not... The, <laughs> the the parallels aren't lost on me, Rowan. All right, that's not why I know it, though. I do. I am aware of the word rancid. Uh, <laughs> all right, next week uh, for the Magpies, they have got a, an assignment against Hawthorne, which at this stage is in Launceston and tentatively scheduled for Sunday. And the Eagles, they are playing Melbourne in Perth, and that one we do know is basically locked down. Uh, that will be a big challenge indeed for the Eagles, given that putrid, I'll throw that one in as well, form at the MCG against the Pies. All right, that was it for Saturday. We had a rare Saturday evening off, but that was merely to prepare us for what would become a super Sunday with five games, the most ever played on a Sunday, on the card. Let's have a chat about them. The first game on a very busy Sunday in AFL football, five games played for the first time, was between Melbourne and Gold Coast at Marvel Stadium. First of two games at that venue on the Sunday of round 20. And uh, boy, fortunately, they weren't all like this because this was a shellacking and a half a 98-point victory to the Demons over an insipid Gold Coast. The final scores, Melbourne 18-20, 128, defeating the Gold Coast a miserable 4-6-30. The goals shared among the Demons by Brown, who kicked four, Jackson, who kicked four, two to Fritch, two to Pickett, two to Gorn, singles to McDonald. Oliver, Petrarca and Spargo. For the hapless sons, Burgess, Sexton, Corbett and Flanders were all she wrote. Well, Fanny, Gold Coast actually were okay for about 10 minutes. They kicked three goals by that stage and uh, proceeded not to kick another goal for more than two full quarters. Remarkable stuff as Melbourne piled on a run of 14 consecutive goals. It was ridiculous stuff. Uh, Gold Coast's third goal came at the 26-minute mark of the first quarter. Their fourth goal came at almost the 21-minute mark of the last quarter. Nearly three full quarters without a goal. And this was right back to the Suns at their miserable best. Uh, In contrast, Melbourne... A great little confidence booster for them, particularly for their forward setup, which looked uh, pretty potent compared to other weeks this season. Well, they do have to temper their what would be uh, joy at topping the 100-point mark as a team, getting four goals from both Brown and Jackson, so tall forwards working and hitting the scoreboard, 38 scoring shots. They'll just have to temper that a little bit and ask whether they had an opposition that was much more than Witcher's hats for most of the afternoon. Look, after the game, 
Stuart Dew in the press conference says it was said it was terrible but not fatal. I just don't know whether he's grasping exactly how tenuous Gold Coast's grip on respectability is in this competition because they had gained some respectability in recent weeks up till half time against Brisbane in the previous match. But this is a team that desperately needs not only respect from others, but self-respect. And they simply didn't play with that today. Now, Melbourne, of course, have got bigger fish to fry. Nevertheless, Gold Coast's insipid performance for basically three quarters of football might go a long way to deciding who coaches that team going into the future. I agree, and uh, fairly ominous too in light of uh, our discussion on Friday evening about Alistair Clarkson and his potential whereabouts next year. I'm not sure the AFL has all that much time to spare to make Gold Coast a vaguely credible uh, football club. I just want to read out a couple of stats because these were quite amazing. At three-quarter time in this game, Gold Coast had mustered just 18 inside 50s in three quarters of football. The inside 50 tackle count was 25 Melbourne, two Gold Coast, two tackles inside 50 in three quarters of football, a run of 14 consecutive goals to the Demons. Uh, It just went on and on and on, really miserable stuff. Let's talk about the Demons, though, because uh, no doubt they've been down on their early season form. Well, you can feel the confidence sort of coming back. And I think to that end, the performance of Ben Brown today, reasonably significant. Now, okay, you do have to temper it by asking yourself what was the quality of the opposition, but I thought he was mobile. He kicked four goals for them. He is definitely the man to go into the final series with alongside Tom McDonald. And uh, look, I, I think that they can be more hopeful of kicking some decent scores than they were. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that he does cover a lot of ground served Luke Jackson really well. Now that, that, is Luke Jackson, um, without going to the record books, he hasn't kicked more than four goals in a game of football, but he certainly stands as a, a, a real offensive threat. More importantly, when he goes for the ball, I feel that Cozzy Pickett comes into the game. Charlie Spargo comes into the game. So if Ben Brown continues to cover the kilometres, then that brings into play not only Luke Jackson, but the small forwards as well. And I think that was probably the best blend of forward interaction we've seen at Melbourne, certainly for the last three months. And to that end, it's more than just four points, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, no doubt about that midfield. Uh, We need to give uh, a couple of shout-outs here too, uh, particularly, I think, to Clayton Oliver. Just an outstanding game from him. 35 disposals, 12 clearances as well. And he was just in the thick of basically anything decent that Melbourne did in this game. Petrarca, 32, pretty conspicuous game from him. And uh, James Harms, 24 touches for him too. So uh, just it looked more like the Melbourne we became used to over those first nine or ten weeks of the season. Now, they remain in third spot, nipping at the heels of the Western Bulldogs and Geelong, both half a game ahead of the Demons. Uh, Probably not that significant, actually, in terms of uh, venues for finals, because, of course, 
were they to stay third, they would be playing at this stage, Geelong. Uh, we already know that final would be at the MCG and ditto for the Western Bulldogs. So Melbourne pretty well set in terms of their September assault either way. Uh, are you more hopeful of their premiership chances after this than you were? Yeah, a little bit, only because I think that they're finally comfortably within themselves answered the question of what that forward line is going to look like. And that was really, you know, something that should have been put to bed before round 20, but at least it's put to bed now. That gives Ben Brown the confidence of not worrying that he's playing for a spot in the team. And it also gives them structurally a bit of a leg up for the remaining games of the season, three more home and away games, as to how to best use that forward line. So I think they did take a step forward in that regard. Well, the Demons will be jumping on a plane very promptly to get over to Perth where they play West Coast next week. We think at, that, at this stage, that game might actually be on a Monday evening. So again, uh, check your local guides for details, but uh, that is what looks like happening at this stage. As saw the Gold Coast, uh, they have a game scheduled here in Melbourne against Carlton. So you think they'll be hanging around old Melbourne town for the next week or so, licking their wounds and hopefully next week delivering a more competitive performance than that drivel they served up today. All right, that was the first game on the Sunday card. Let's talk about the next one. In Launceston, Hawthorne took on Brisbane. The Lions, desperate to climb back into that top four. Well, it was not to be because the Hawks, after a tumultuous week and, of course, the dramatic developments as late as Friday regarding Alistair Clarkson, officially now out as Hawthorne coach at the end of this year, Sam Mitchell to take over. Would that have a negative impact on their performance? Well, Far from it. In fact, you'd argue quite the reverse. Terrific win by the Hawks and the 12-point margin in no way reflecting their dominance in this game because at three-quarter time, they in fact led this game by 53 points before the Lions rattled on eight goals to just one in the last term. They were never going to bridge the gap, though. It was fool's gold in that last 30 or so minutes for the Lions. The final score... Hawthorne 14 8 92, defeating Brisbane 12 8 80. The goals three to Bruce, two to Wingard, two to Moore, singles to O'Meara, Shields, O'Brien, Phillips, Mitchell, Lewis, and Warple. For Brisbane, four to McStay and singles to all of the following. Cockatoo making his debut in a Brisbane Guernsey. Lions, Neil, Cameron, Bailey, Fullerton, Danaher, and Zorko. Well, Friday could often be hard work down in Launceston, and uh, it was going to be a lot harder once Brisbane were held goalless in that opening term while the Hawks kicked four. Uh, that advantage continues up to half time, four goals the difference then. And then the game effectively decided in the third term when the Hawks rattled on another six goals to just one by the Lions. Now, they've had some decent wins down here, Brisbane, in recent times. But, boy, this was a costly loss in terms of getting the double chance for them. Goodbye, Brisbane. This, to me, puts the seal on their campaign for 2021. Why does it do so? 
a couple of facts. Lockie Neal has not been able to overcome the injuries that have stymied him this season. He's pale comparison of the player that won the Brownlow last year. They miss Hipwood terribly up forward. Danaher is unreliable. And basically, even down back where they've had, obviously, interrupted seasons for the likes of Gardner and others, they simply, around the ground, have not had the cattle to cover. Now, at halftime in this game, they were similarly placed as they were last week against the Gold Coast. And I guess, well, most of us thought, start the comeback and reel in a lowly team. They got humiliated in the third quarter. They got outplayed by a side that was more desperate. And more importantly, their midfield was down to one. Lions, again, a great game of football. Gee, he's a good footballer. Putting his body in, getting clearances, and getting almost 40 possessions. But he couldn't hold back the tide. And the tide was Mitchell. The tide was Warple. The tide was O'Meara. I mean... It was just very hard work for one man to counter that many decent midfielders from the opposition. And not lost on me today that uh, some of Hawthorne's best were among some of their most senior players. Wingard, great performance from him. O'Meara really led from the front midfield. Bruce around goal. Mitchell, the Brownlow medalist. Now, these are guys who I wonder if they're feeling maybe not guilty, but, you know, in some way sort of responsible for what had happened with the coach during the week and at the very least wanted to show him uh, the impact that they he had had on their careers. So, uh, look, I, I've changed my tune on Hawthorne. I didn't see a lot to be excited about early this season, but the longer that he has gone on, the more I've felt uh, I've seen in probably up to half a dozen younger guys that they've blooded this year or further developed. And I reckon Sam Mitchell might have more at his disposal to work with next year than a lot of people seem to think, Finey. What do you think? No, fair call. Look, well, I think we've all been impressed by the likes of Bramble, Granger, Barras. We know that Will Day is going to be a star and he's barely played this season. Morrison, youngsters that have been able to improve in a trying season for 2021 for the Hawks. Now, I guess there's also in the back of our mind that this club, certainly during our lifetime, Rowan, has been the best club in football. And its ability to regenerate seems to be ahead of the curve. So, yeah, I think Sam Mitchell would be well pleased with the list that he's going to take into next season. And more importantly than that, the mental... The, the mental state of being a Hawthorne footballer, I don't think is diminished. And that is a, a big compliment. Uh, as for Brisbane, um, yeah, bye-bye top four. They are now eight points outside the top four. Port Adelaide, of course, now on 14 wins, five losses. Brisbane back on 12-7. In fact, they have now fallen behind Sydney. So uh, they're going to be doing it the hard way, and it's a shame because uh, there have been periods this season where they have looked like they were really building up to something substantial. We talked about their greater resilience, but it's gone missing again. And uh, unfortunately, um, year three of playing finals, they're in a far more regressed position than they were in either of the uh, previous two campaigns. Do you give them any chance of getting to even a preliminary final finding? No, no. 
as I said, their their losses throughout the season, Hipwood being the most telling one, have shown that they just don't have a great deal of depth and the players that they've brought in really are not final standards. So, no, I don't think they advance in the finals. All right, doesn't get a lot easier for them either because they are scheduled to head to Perth and to play Fremantle next week at Optus Stadium. As for the Hawks, they will be in Launceston again where they will be meeting Collingwood. How's that? A game in Launceston against Collingwood. You probably wouldn't have tipped that only uh, 12 or so months ago. A lot of people down in Tassie will be certainly looking forward to that. All right, that was two of the five games on Sunday. The third one at the MCG was a cracker. Well, how often have we seen these two sides play a classic and a very, very close classic? And we got another one. Those two sides were Essendon and Sydney. And the result, not for the first time, saw the Swans getting home by a narrow Seven points. The final score, Sydney, 17-7, 109, defeating the Bombers, 16-6, 102. Now, a few things to point out here. That is the third time this year Essendon has scored more than 100 points and lost a game. It is also the ninth time since 2005 that the Swans have beaten Essendon by nine points or less. So I can tell you, among some fatalistic Bomber fans, there was a sense of inevitability which hovered over much of the second half. Here's another one for you. Accuracy. In the second half, Essendon kicked 10 goals one. Sydney in the second half kicked 13 goals two. 23 goals three, the aggregate for both teams in the second half. It was goal for goal. It was open footy. Defence at times was a little bit lacking. But, gee, this was a really entertaining game. A good win for Sydney in the end. A pretty costly loss to the Bombers in terms of any final eight hopes. But I've got to say, with my Essendon hat on, not that disappointed. I thought they uh, made a pretty good fist of it. And the result probably reflected where these two teams are at in their developmental journey. The final scores, the Swans 17-7, Defeating the Bombers 16-6-102. The goals four to Papley. Massive second half for him. Two to Parker. Two to Franklin. Two to Haywood. Singles to Blakey, Golden, Hickey, Kennedy, Mills, Reed, and Wicks. For the Bombers, three to Kyle Langford. Two to Merritt. Two to Stringer. Two to Smith. Two to Wright. Singles to Clark, Cutler, Hind, McDonald, Tipperwoody, and Shield. Did you enjoy this game, Finey? Rowan, I've got to say, in the last six weeks, given the lack of crowds and what has been to me a real downturn in standards of footy, this game was a delight. Absolute pleasure to watch. Couldn't couldn't speak highly enough of the, not only skills on the show, 23 goals, three in the second half. Look, I knew that they were kicking goals. These were not some of these were high degrees of difficulty. I mean, we're not talking about gimmies because they, they were sort of kicking them from everywhere. The maligned Devon Smith, Errol Goulden towards the end of the game. High pressure shots of goal that went through. Well done. As far as the game's concerned, I'm not surprised that you walk away having lost the game, but 
really sort of emboldened by the future of the Dons. And you know why you should be most pleased, Rowan? Why? Because of your coach. Because the way he has them play, the way he reads the game of football, I, I, I think he's great. Today, it was imperative against what had become through the game. Well, Callum Mills was absolutely brilliant. But the man on which the game, so often this is the case, rests is Jake Stringer. And he was used where it mattered, at the coalface in the middle of the ground. That was imperative. And I think it was the right call for much of the game by Rutten. How about the move to Hind in the, uh, for Hind to go forward in the last quarter? Reaped an immediate benefit with a goal. I think he reads the game during the match extremely well. And I feel as though a lot of the modern coaches sit there and watch the game and don't coach. Whereas Ben Rutten, to me, really does coach. I think I still think Essendon have some issues with the list that need to be addressed. I mean, they certainly lacked a little bit of composure and a, a bit of class in 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 the uh, clinches. But I can see some issues looming in the key positions at either end. Now, Harry Jones is out injured at the moment. Fair enough, but I still think Essendon are a bit dodgy in those key forward posts. Kyle Hooker, well, he's going to be finishing one way or the other at the end of this year. We know that. I'm still not convinced by Peter Wright, his ability to consistently be a goal-kicking target. The one I'm most worried about right now is James Stewart because he had an absolute nightmare today, directly responsible for about four Sydney goals with some real panic and poor decision-making. He's been found wanting as a key forward. The move to defence I don't think has really worked. What do they do with him? Has he actually got a future there? The other one I'm still umming and ahhing about, and uh, I think uh, he'll still be there because he's on uh, big bickies, but, gee, Dylan Shield, I don't think he does quite enough compared to uh, a couple of guys a bit younger than him uh, in Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish, and even a guy like Kyle Langford, who I think's really become a consistent player this year. So, Look, the Dons with some work to do. I'm going to make this observation and throw it to you, Finey. With all due respect to Port Adelaide, I've got to say I'm quite hoping that Sydney can snatch fourth spot of them because I'm not sure Port can beat the three sides above them when it counts. I am quite sure that Sydney is capable of beating them. They've already beaten the Bulldogs. They've already beaten Geelong. They've already pushed Melbourne to within nine points. They play at times a quite intoxicating brand of footy, I reckon they would add so much to the flag race if they can get that double chance. What do you think? Rowan, if you enjoy watching Port Adelaide more than Sydney, you are one of two things, a Port Adelaide supporter or a masochist. I mean, they are talking cheese. You've got this young team with Buddy up forward. And I do want to make mention of Sam Reid's return to the side. Because whether it's drifting down back where sometimes they need some support height-wise or being another hit-up option and forward option, you can understand why coach John Longmire was desperate to get him back into the side and rushed him into the team accordingly. They're great to watch. Papley, Goulden at the drop of the ball. Heaney, just a, a fantastic talent. Blakey living up to the billing. Mills playing the best footy of his career. McInerney, a valuable and attacking, penetrating footballer with his kicking. So many players in that side that are great to watch. And 
a team that has come from nowhere. Well done you for selecting them in the finals at the start of the season. But the higher they go, the more exciting the finals will be, Rowan. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So next week, uh, the Bombers might just about have that finals flame extinguished. They, of course, come up against top of the ladder Western Bulldogs. That game originally scheduled for Friday evening, now looking far more likely to be played on Sunday at Marvel Stadium, we think, at this stage. As for the Swans, they are up against your Saints, finally. That one also scheduled for Marvel Stadium. All right, that was three down on the Sunday, two to go. The next one on the card in Perth. Well, the last game, we talked about some amazing accuracy. And in this one, we're going to talk about some amazing inaccuracy. Fremantle up against Richmond. Certainly a thrilling finish. Plenty of pressure. Not a unentertaining game, but a frustrating game because neither of these teams could hit the side of a barn, particularly early on. In fact, at one stage, the combined tally of both teams was a comical six goals, 26 behinds. Unbelievable stuff. A thrilling finish, though. Richmond snatching the lead and Fremantle snatching it back again with a uh, ceiling goal by Caleb Sarong. And the Dockers got home by four points and seized a spot in the top eight with that victory. Seven goals, 13, 55 their final score. Richmond, 6-15-51. So in the finish, 13-28, the aggregate score. For the Dockers, three to Tabiner, two to Schultz, singles to Collier and Sarong. For Richmond, Matthew Parker, the only multiple goal kicker. He got two singles to Rewalt, Lambert, Lynch, Mansell. That is Richmond's sixth loss in the last seven games. And yet... Somehow, Finey, as we keep saying with several teams, they are still not officially out of the race for a spot in the eight. What just what do you make of this game? Entertaining in its the nature of the game being close. Spectacular finish. I mean, that mark by Schultz to put Fremantle back in front in a year of aerial brilliance is one of the contenders. Won't be mark of the year, but in terms of timing. Importance and the fact he went back and slotted the goal was magnificent. Richmond could not, as you say, hit the side of a barn. First part of the last quarter, again, it looked as though they were destined to, well, it looked like they were trying to catch them up in behinds. Finally, Lambert goals, Rewalt goals. I thought that they then had the game, even though they lack some of their stars and it's not the Richmond, obviously, of the last four years. They were still starting to own some territory, even some air. Asprey outmarking Tracy on a couple of occasions. And I really did feel as though it was Richmond's game. But you know what? Well done, Fremantle, for coming back. And in a way, this game was made even better by virtue of the fact that it was A, close, and B, had a crowd. We're so used to watching games without anybody in attendance that the excitement generated by having fans was enjoyable. Did you like the excitement generated by uh, one Edward Maguire commentating the game who uh, was of the view that 
Damien Hardwick's three-quarter time motivational speech probably would have mentioned that they were playing in prime TV time, albeit that prime TV time being Sunday evening on pay TV. I'm not sure that would have been part of Dimmer's uh, three-quarter time talk. What about you? I'm glad you mentioned Eddie because he woke up half the wildlife around where I live. He was absolutely uncontrollable in that final quarter and using superlatives normally set aside for Olympic world records, definitely for better games and football than this. And I've got to say, he could have asked Jared Healy whether at one point he could have said to Jared Healy, Hey, Jared, would you like me to take a knife and cut off your fingers? And you know what Jared would have said? Yes, Ed, take off. Absolutely, all of them. Eddie. Yeah. At the, was... the, at the end of the game, he said to Jared Healy, And how about these Tigers? What have you got to say about them, brave warriors? And Jared Healy responded with, They were absolutely magnificent. No. Pardon? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It was... Pardon? Have a look who Frio went out. That's summed up. Absolutely magnificent. And in the same sentence, Healy went on to say that their delivery into the forward line in the first lot, first half was absolutely horrible. I don't know whether Jared knows what he's saying. No, it was almost like someone had told him to pump it up or something. It's really, really annoying. And, you know, the art of commentary is about <laughs> filling out the pictures, not completely trying to dominate them. But, uh, look, he'll never get it. Anyway, let's talk about this game. Uh, on, what, there is one thing I do want to mention about the game, though, that was magnificent. Yeah. Tell me you didn't like Frio's jumpers. Yeah, no. I, well, I, I like their original jumpers more than I like their new version jumpers. I've always been a fan of green in uh, in Guernsey. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan. I am definitely you, a fan. Did you not find yourselves at times when certain players were going for the ball thinking... That's Waterhouse. That's well, well, Henry particularly because I, I don't know if Scott Chisholm wore twenty three, but that's who I kept seeing when William Henry got near the ball. I kept thinking of Scott Chisholm. Yeah, I saw a bit of Peter Mann. Yes. I saw some Luke. I saw some Luke Toyer going around. They really were flashback moments for me. It was good fun. All right, two quick questions. Uh, have Frio got any hope of staying in the eight? Do you think? No. Okay. Do you know? Do you know who they play? <laughs> well, I mean, they they sort of have a tough run home, but it looks a whole lot easier after this round because I think they've got Brisbane. They have. They've got Brisbane next week. Then they've got the Derby against yep. West Coast, and then so, your and Saints. then St Kilda. So before this round, that looked like a pretty difficult troika, but you couldn't have had three more disappointing performances. So all of a sudden, not only do they get an unlikely win, but they're playing three teams that went terribly. All right. And a quick answer to this one. If Richmond still somehow amazingly get in there, can they do any damage at all? No. And I think they they might make it because they've got North Melbourne, Hawthorne and Gold Coast. So I reckon they'll make it, but I don't think they'll do any damage. All right. Well, isn't it remarkable that all these teams keep fluffing their lines in terms of moving into the eight, and yet they are just, they've got nine lives, all of them. It's, um, you do suspect teams seven and eight are going to be cannon fodder this year. Speaking of which, 
the incumbent in the eight before this round had a spot to protect. What would happen there? Well, let's find out. The last game of a packed Sunday schedule, this one starting at 6.10pm, was the second week of a double header at Marvel Stadium. It was between GWS and Port Adelaide. And in the end, reasonably entertaining game. And in the end, a reasonably comprehensive victory to Port Adelaide. The power, uh, I guess, underlining their spot in the top four and GWS in very costly fashion losing their spot in the top eight. Uh, The final scores, Port Adelaide, 15 goals, 10, 100, defeating the Giants, 11, 7, 73. The goal kickers for the power, four to Dixon, three to Adams, two to Georgiades. They're getting some decent returns out of those forwards. Singles to Boak, Butters, Amon, who was terrific. Marshall, Fantasia, and Dersma for the Giants. Three to Lloyd, two to Hogan, two to Green. Singles to Ward, Taranto, Mumford, and Himmelberg. Well, pretty close, really, the whole journey between these two. A critical moment, Finey, in this game. I know what it is. Well, let me explain it. Right on the three-quarter time siren, Port Adelaide, seven points ahead. Harry Himmelberg marked well within scoring range, lined up to take the kick literally 10 seconds or so before the three-quarter time siren. A chance to reduce the gap to just one point. Well, he forgot about the shot clock, didn't he? Play on was called. He was mowed down in a tackle. The chance was lost. Port went to the break instead with a seven-point lead. That was increased when they got the opening two goals of the last quarter to Dixon and Fantasia to 19 points. And the power pretty much held that advantage thereafter. Critical moment, Finey. And I wonder if the Giants might look back on that one and think that lapse in concentration could conceivably have cost us a finals berth. How could it have happened? It was analysed immediately on TV. He got the 15-second warning and the five-second warning. But can you explain to me what was going through his head? Not really, no. Although that caught up in the moment, I've got to say that, you know, sometimes we confuse ability for common sense or for footy IQ. And plenty of the guys running around are rich in football ability, but maybe not so rich in footy IQ. Let's have a look at the game. And who would have thought a month ago that a floundering Port Adelaide would be saved by, of all places, Marvel Stadium? Because they've had three wins there. This probably the best of them, the most important of them. And to me, ground familiarisation, I know something that you're pretty keen on, it started to have an effect on me because they certainly are using those tall forwards to full effect. Charlie Dixon leads the competition in contested marks and they shouldn't be undervalued because for every contested mark he takes, there must be four or five times where the contest has resulted in the ball coming to ground to the advantage of Port Adelaide. And so was the case, the, a very quiet Orazio Fantasia putting a seal on the game halfway through the last quarter, 
doing just that front and centre and understanding his role, knowing that long kicks to Dixon pay dividends and they seem to understand that at Marvel Stadium, the idea of getting the ball inboard and into that tall forward has worked very well for them. So well done to the power for working out the ground. As for GWS, you know what? They've fought on pretty gamely this season in a way. I feel as though they are definitely one tall forward short. I think we thought that going into the season. Finlayson remains a, a frustration and obviously has attitudinal problems because otherwise he'd be in the team more regularly. They rely a lot on Toby Green and ultimately, I think a pretty game performance by them this season. They're not out of the running for the eight. He's going to have them either just inside or outside the eight, but again, another team that won't have much of a say going forward. Still not a bad season for them. And I did like the game of debutant James Peatling, who was picked up in the mid-season draft. Yeah, I think this is going to be the one that costs them their, their chances. They've got Geelong next week at Geelong. doesn't get any tougher than that. They've got Richmond. Um, we don't know where that's going to be played. It's scheduled to be played at John Stadium. You'd reckon 100 to 1 on that happening. And who knows how well Richmond might be playing in two weeks. And then they've got Carlton in the last game. And that's no gimme either. So, geez, they're up against it now. That was one they really needed to jag, I think. Weren't able to do it. And uh, I reckon if you're framing a market of likely finalists or likely to fill that eighth spot, they're probably towards the bottom of that list. So... Uh, the Giants to face off against Geelong next week. As support Adelaide, well, they've got a showdown against the bitter crosstown foe. Uh, the first one, not surprisingly, which will be played away from Adelaide. I wonder where that will end up being played. It's going to be a pretty weird phenomenon indeed. But uh, wherever it is um, outside Adelaide, presuming it's outside Adelaide, uh, a good rallying point for uh, ex-Adelaideans or South Australians in their new state of abode. All right, that was it. An action drama-packed round 20. And uh, we're going to finish off this show with some action and drama too, Finey, as we rant our little hearts out. On Footyology, the rant of... Well, a uh, weird, wonderful, wacky at times weekend of football this has been. Strange days indeed for the game, Finey. And uh, my rant is sort of channeling that vibe, if you like, to appropriate a line from the castle. Uh, Would you count me in, please? One, two, oh, the serenity. I'm pissed off with COVID playing havoc with a fixture, Finey. Well, actually, that's not strictly true. I certainly was pissed off about it around 11am on Saturday when Queensland decided to lock down and not only did we yet again have a host of Games 3 scheduled, we had three postponed, leaving a glaring gap in my Saturday evening schedule. Look, I've long since realised that when the AFL season's on, I effectively have no other life. What was one to do instead of watching the Essendon-Sydney clash on Saturday evening? Yes, the Olympics are on, but I already knew I'd instead be crawling down that YouTube rabbit hole again, searching for just one famous old sandful 
or waffle highlight I somehow hadn't already seen. But then the Bulldogs' Adelaide game in Ballarat commenced, and immediately I started feeling better. Because here, finally, was AFL football getting back in touch with its grassroots. Not intentionally, mind you, but the indicators were everywhere. Some bloke standing alone on the outer wing, acting as de facto ball boy when the ball went over the fence, which given the strength of the breeze blowing at Mars Stadium was about every 30 seconds. Even the concept of a breeze itself favouring one end harked back to the old days. No three-tiered grandstands or roofs blocking everything out and neutralising all the weather factors that still play an integral part of footy at suburban level. We had players jumping the fence to collect stray footballs which had bounced over. The audible cries of teammates to each other and the metallic thud of ball on the woodwork. Actually, that would be a woody thud, not a metallic thud, but never mind. Which also seemed to be happening every 30 or so seconds. But the real doozy finding, and I'm just glad I was still alive to see it, was the definitive reconnecting of the game's top tier with its very heart and soul. And I'm talking, of course, about the unmistakable sound of car horns tooting after a home team goal. I thought I was hearing things at first, but no, there they were. A couple of cars parked at a 90-degree angle to the outer fence, the occupants clad in Western Bulldogs colours, no doubt sipping hot coffee from a lovingly packed thermos, perhaps even taking a cheeky swig of something stronger from a hip flask, and proudly offering not just a honk or six on the old Commodore steering wheel when the doggies kicked a goal, but even a flashing of the headlights. Think about AFL football of the 21st century, the light shows and choreographed dance routines of the high-tech Optus Stadium in Perth. And now think about Ballarat, the 12.20pm start time on Saturday, a gale blowing, two men and a dog in attendance, literally, and the cars parked on the perimeter fence. I reckon finding, not for the first time, in an accidental fashion, the AFL is really onto something here. Just think how many trappings of the genuine grassroots footy experience we could transfer to other AFL game scenarios. I want to see the chook raffle back. I want to see the kids in the cheer squad carrying a blanket around the boundary line at half time, asking for coins and other cretinous adolescents like me pinging 20 cent pieces at them. The AFL needs to get rid of all those fast food turnstile operations at grounds and replace them with a little canteen run exclusively by middle-aged women called Dolly who overcook the hot dogs and sell mixed lollies. And forget the teams getting their nutritionists bringing out the drinks at the quarter-time breaks in personalised squeezy bottles. We need a weekly roster for the home side, a different member each week having to take oranges cut up in quarters out to the players and another designated to bring a plate. That's the sort of personal touch AFL football's been lacking, Finey. We can get that back into our football experience. And if this pandemic continues to drain the $6 million black hole it's leaving in the coffers each week, we might well have it by about round 23. I loved it. Absolutely loved that. And it throws up a few thoughts. First of all, I'm not old enough to remember this, but the Prime Minister of Australia, Sir Robert Menzies, was a great Carlton fan. Now, is it not true... In his latter days, they actually built access to the ground so he could park his Rolls Royce and watch the game. 
It is true. And if you head to uh, either my or Tony DeBolfo's Twitter account, you will see a photo from a game in 1972, no less, not all that long ago, of uh, Menzies in the, sitting in the car watching a game between Carlton and Footscray. Check it out, Finey. You'll love it. That actually happened, and there is photographic evidence. So I wonder whether he tooted the horn and flashed the lights when they got a goal that day. I asked that question. Apparently, his chauffeur did. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I <laughs> know. <laughs> it's great, isn't Sorry. it? That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> Take the horn, <laughs> Wilfred. Take the horn. <laughs> but it was how good was it hearing the car horns after oh, the ball was kicking off? So that's part one. Now, part two, you're talking about the Hyde Street band that famously used to circle or go around the boundary at half time in Bulldogs games. Correct. The only difference between you and me. You used to piff 20 cent coins at them. I'd go uh, a little bit further. I did throw coins at them. And when they ran out, I used to lead, reach down for the gravel that was part of the outer at the Western Oval. And there was a large boy who used to carry that, be one of the corner holders of that blanket. And boy, did he cop a piffing. So. Yeah, we were as bad as each other. No, I was throwing my coins at the Essendon Cheer Squad members at Windy yeah. Hill and okay. uh, got chased around the ground by one of them one day when uh, one of those coins actually did connect. Uh, I did love the one thing about the Hyde Street band that I loved at Footscray, because they were all sort of wearing Footscray colours, but when they came around the outer, because they were a little sort of mobile band, yeah, to try and raise funds, they'd play the St Kilda theme song. Oh, nice, nice. You, you responded know. well. I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to go the uh, uh, scene from Woody Allen's "Take the Money and Run." Do they? Oh, have... yeah, with the trombone, <laughs> with the guy with the cello and the, the seat. cello and the seat. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and the last one, I guess it, it it's a a sort of it's like a, a um, archaeological dig as to how old you are as a footy supporter. Now you recalled. Oranges at three-quarter time? Yep. If we were older, you'd have somebody bringing out the cigarettes. Ah, uh, yes, you would. You know, there was actually a big discussion on Twitter yesterday too about the peanut man, uh, Johnny Oh, yeah, I know, I, I know his name and everything. Johnny Boyd. Uh, fantastic piece written about him by Tony DeBolfo. Anyway, yep. we digress. That's uh, Well, there you go. I'm glad uh, my rant took us back to uh, a gentle, decent oh. time in the game. Now, just on that discussion with the peanut man, peanuts, peanuts, there was always a debate. Was he saying shilling a bag no. or shell in the bag? I, I don't remember. All I ever heard him say, I had this discussion with someone last night. All I heard him say was, peanuts, 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 shell right. in the bag. Let's we get on be, with it. Um, what it was. Well, that's my rant. No, it's not. Okay. Three, two, one, rant. Now, I know we're a pair of curmudgeons, Rowan, and generally speaking, we are pretty downhearted and, and have a crack at a lot of things to do with the AFL. We are finger pointers, and fair enough, too. It is a rant. But on this occasion, I'm full of praise. Full of praise for the AFL and their ability to keep this season going. 
I mean, just have a look at this round, round 20, three games knocked on the head because of a snap closure by the Queensland government in Brisbane and on the Gold Coast. Yet somehow the AFL get the job done and we are going to have a full round play. I mean, it certainly has raised, raised the eyebrows of the rest of the community. People in the arts, people in the entertainment industry are saying, how comes the AFL can get these exemptions and keep the show going when we can't? Well, who knows? But as football fans, I've got to say, who cares? It is brilliant work and no surprise, Rowan, that Gil McLaughlin has been headhunted for the top job in putting together the almighty job of the Brisbane Olympics. Of course, that city being awarded the Games in 2032. Why? Because the AFL gets the job done and people listen when AFL speaks. Even to Eddie Maguire. Yes, he's had a few cockamamie ideas, but his plan of getting a precinct built around the MCG and the sporting complexes of Melbourne allowing a full crowd of 100,000 people incredibly is being seriously considered by the state government. 100,000 at a football game when you're not allowed two people inside a nightclub, when theatres are closed or when movie cinemas are maximising or, or maxing their attendances at something like 30 or 40 people. How do the AFL do it? It's kismet. It is magic but it deserves the highest of praise. So, yes, we do have a crack about some of the rules in the game. We are sometimes scratching our heads at the MRO and the tribunal. And we do ask whether or not there is a boys' club and whether or not some people at the top end of town in the AFL get better looked after than others. But when it comes to putting the game on and making the season happen, there is no competition on the planet like the AFL. So Gillen team, thumbs up from this normally critical ranter. No, no, here, here. Couldn't agree more. And uh, while you're individualising, Travis Ald is the man who really deserves a lot True. of credit too. True. He really had an incredible task on his hands at about uh, 11 a.m. Saturday morning. Quite incredible to think at that stage that we would get all nine games played. But uh, there you go, a logistical nightmare and uh, the AFL responded. So uh, when crisis time comes and now for a second year in a row, they have answered the call very effectively. And that shouldn't be lost on us, Finey. So well done you for pointing it out. All right, that is it for our Round 20 review. Uh, of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And what about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? When it comes to organising the best hamburger, you know it's going to be there waiting for you at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrews Hamburgers, delicious same goes for a house could a house be delicious i think you've asked that question before rowan and you know what i say it can be if it's built by west point properties nick Spar tells him the team building your house it's gonna be a dream and some delicious delectable statistics can be found at stats insider 
another great partner of ours, the best sports data analysts in the business. They deal with more than 15 sports across the globe and they sample an event more than 10,000 times to give you the best probable and possible range of outcomes. Some great writing on there as well, all free. And in fact, I'll be penning a column for them on Monday. So head to statsinsider.com.au to check it all out and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, as always, you can support us at the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast. And uh, we thank you very much for that support you've generously offered thus far. Or even better, become an official Footyology patron at one of the many Patreon links available on our website, footyology.com.au. Check that out. Hope your team had a win. Hope they uh, weren't too badly thumped if they didn't. And there's always, we can say this for a couple more weeks at least, next week. We, in fact, will be back next Wednesday to do a big, fulsome preview of Round 21. We'll see you there.